0: to Luke chapter 8. And as we turn there, I want to let the words of that song echo in our ears. They they are very fitting with what we're about to read, what we're about to study in this section of Scripture that we are about to finish. For The last two weeks, we've been pressing through chapter 8. And if you remember, in chapter 8, we got another big division in the book. It's a paradigmatic summary statement. We've seen one already back in chapter 4 when Jesus, coming back from the wilderness, from being tempted, begins his Galilean ministry. And in 4.14, we get this sort of paradigmatic summary statement. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. In 8.1... We get a similar summary statement. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. What's interesting is nothing much has changed. Jesus is still in the locale that he's been in, Jesus is still doing the same work he's been doing, preaching and teaching. Remember that despite the fact that Jesus' miracles frequently grab the greatest attention, Luke is emphasizing, Jesus himself Emphasize who is he? He is the one anointed to proclaim and announce a message. He's a preacher and a teacher first and foremost in Luke's gospel. So he's doing the same thing. He's doing it in the same place. Well, what's changed? Well, in 8.1, now he's got apostles. Didn't have those before. Now he's got a band of women doing ministry with him. But most importantly, what we saw is now he begins teaching in parables. That's really, I think, the the significance of the shift and why Luke wants to stop in eight, re-summarize, and move forward. And he opens up with one of the most famous of all the parables, the parable of the sower. And we looked at two weeks ago as Jesus explained why he spoke in parables, contrary to To much that I've heard in my lifetime, it was not first and foremost to make the understanding easier. It wasn't Jesus putting the cookies on the low shelf. It wasn't him, a great illustrator, finding helpful ways of understanding. Rather, what does he say in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 8? When the disciples asked him what the parables meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And the other, the other emphasis here of why Luke would stop and mark this division is Jesus is now introducing a second edge, a second aspect to his ministry. We've seen already as he cites Isaiah 61 in chapter four, he's here to announce good news. He's here to release prisoners. He's here to announce the, the year of the Lord's favor. And now we learn he's also here to blind eyes and deafen ears there's an edge of judgment to his ministry as well that jesus is calculating the way he speaks he is tailoring the way he speaks so that those who have ears to see ears to hear and eyes to see will hear and see but that those who do not will become blind and we spend the whole week looking at that and if you weren't here for that two weeks ago i'd encourage you to go back God's sovereign purpose in parables, but the the answer is ultimately that he cites Isaiah 6, a passage he cites in every one of the Gospels, a passage that Paul cites at the end of Acts, and it's an announcement of judgment. In Isaiah's instance, God commissioning Isaiah to go to a stiff-necked, stubborn people, Israel, who would become idolaters, a language of spiritual sensory deprivation, seeing but not seeing, hearing but not hearing is 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 the language of idolatry because according to Psalm 115 and Psalm 135, those who make idols become like them and the idols have eyes but don't see and the idols have ears but don't hear and the idols have mouths but don't speak because we become what we behold and we resemble what we revere. Israel had taken the image of those things they worshipped and we looked at that and Jesus comes to Israel now and He knows And Theophilus, to whom Luke is writing, knows, because Luke knows that Theophilus has heard these things before. Luke has written to give him certitude, confidence in the things he's already learned. So Theophilus knows, Jesus knows, that the overwhelming majority of Israel will reject him. They will not come to faith. They will not receive their Messiah. Jesus knows that, and this aspect of his ministry is directed towards that. Jesus' ministry will both bring to faith those who are his and will harden and expose the hardness of the hearts of those who are far from God so that Israel when Jesus was delivered up would cry out something that I don't imagine many of them would ever imagine to cry out we have no king but caesar away with this man crucify him the hardness of their hearts comes out it's revealed who these people are. And Jesus now is is ministering in such a way so as both the call to faith and to blind and harden. And that dominance in this section from from 8 down to our section this morning is is the call to hear. Call to hear. The the title of this morning's message, take care then how you hear. Look in verse 8. Some fell on the good soil and yielded a hundredfold, As he said these things, he called out, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then as he explained the parable of the sower we saw last week, the the seed that fell on the path, verse 12, are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word. And the, the rocky soil, verse 13, those who when they hear the word, Verse 14, what fell among the thorns, those who hear. Verse 15, the good soil, those who hearing the word hold it fast. What's the the central motif? Hearing, 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 hearing. And then without any break in the narrative, as Jesus is speaking and and talking to his disciples, notice how verse 15 ends with with nothing to indicate he stops talking and, and 16 just picks right up. He's still talking to them. This is still part of the narrative. Let's read our text then for this morning, Luke 8:16 to 21. Jesus speaking not to the crowds, but to those disciples who had come to him to ask him what these things meant. He's still talking to them. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then... His mother and his brothers came to him and they could not reach him because of the crowd and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And then you'll notice Luke breaks in our next chunk of text we'll look at next week is a very different place, very different time. There's a break. Look how 22 starts one day. So all the way from 8.1 through 8.21 is a unit. As, Jesus, as Luke sets up the introduction to Jesus' preaching of parables... He preaches to the crowds. Remember, calling out from among the crowds those who have ears to hear. And then, in verse 8, his disciples came and asked him what the parables meant. And so everything that follows the explanation of the parable of the sower in our text this morning is in that context of his disciples. And these are these who Jesus identifies as the ones who have been granted or given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 9 again. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said... To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's what we were praying earlier in our final song, Show Us Christ. You might, you could have, could have translated, God, show us the secrets of the kingdom of God. Give us eyes to see. So Jesus is speaking now to a group of people who've been granted spiritual insight into his message. And by extension, because we have the gospel of Luke, we are that group of people too. We, like the disciples, get to hear the explanation. We, like the disciples, get that light, get that understanding. The vast crowds didn't get that. The disciples, and thanks to Luke's narrative, we do as well. So this is addressed to people who are his disciples, to people who have already been given or granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, just as we have. Take care, then, how you hear. We're going to look at it in two chunks. First, we have this parable or this this, um, proverb in verses 16 through 18. And then we have the account of his mother and brothers coming to visit him. And what we're going to learn as we summarize and bring this to a close these three weeks is first that true disciples hear Christ's light. True disciples hear Christ's light. Yes, I know there's a sort of cognitive dissonance with my choice of words but I'm trying to reflect the same sort of strange contrast in what Jesus says. What's what's he do? He gives an imagery of light. No one lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. Therefore... Be careful how you hear. You see that same cognitive surprise? There's this light. You don't want to cover the light. You want to come to the light. You want to let the light expose and shine. Therefore, because of this light, be careful how you hear. It's odd. It's odd. And I'm trying to reflect that. True disciples hear Christ's light. Jesus gives an imagery of light and then says, be careful how you hear. Why would Jesus combine these two images of seeing and hearing. Look back at verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus gives a parable about seeing and a call to hear. It is not by accident. We're still talking about the same subject. We're still in the same discourse. There's a warning that Jesus gives at the beginning of this about those who who cannot see and those who cannot hear. And then he gives a a statement about light shining and don't cover the light. See the light and then a call to be careful how to hear. Do you see that? True disciples hear Christ's light. And before we go much further, I want to stop and and anticipate something that's coming a little later in Luke. All of this talk about hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing is significant. It's going somewhere. I want to track just a a brief thread. If you go back to chapter 7, when Jesus healed, or raised from the dead rather, the widow's son, a new title in Luke for Christ gets introduced. We've already learned that He is the Messiah or the Christ in chapter 4. We've learned He's the Son of the Most High in chapter 1. But look at the response in chapter 7, verse 16. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. A great prophet prophet has risen among us. And then in chapter 8, all these calls to hear, to hear, to hear, to hear. This is going to culminate in chapter 9. Turn to page of chapter 9. When Jesus goes out on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah are there with Him. Then look at verse 34 and 35. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So Jesus is going around. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to how you hear. Hear, 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 hear. Then God the Father says, listen to him. This is where it culminates. What is going on? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. What Luke is setting up for us here is another Christological theme, another Old Testament strand or thread being woven into the narrative of Luke. Jesus is the coming Christ. We'll see he also fulfills other prophecies in scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, We'll start in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die, People, when they drew near to Sinai and Horeb, when God was speaking, that that really terrified them. They didn't want to talk to God that way. They said, Moses, you go talk to God for us. We'll die. You see, we need a mediator. We need a go-between. We need someone who can stand and lay a hand on us both, as the language of Job says. We dare not approach God, the Father, alone, (laughs) lest we be consumed. The Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words, he will speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. And Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and with Elijah, and God the Father says this now, This now is my beloved Son, my chosen, whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And all this starting back in Luke as the introduction, a great prophet has arisen. Jesus is the coming Messiah. Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the prophet, like Moses, who will arise and speak God's word and the one to whom we must listen. That's part of, I think, what Luke is emphasizing here. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the greater Moses. You're blank here. Jesus' teaching is light. Listen to him. Jesus' teaching is light. Listen to him. Now we'll start moving into this this statement that Jesus makes. It's it's not really a parable as much as it is a proverb. At least the the first one, verse 16, seems sort of self-evident. No one lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, right? If you live in a culture where you don't have electricity, where you've got to light lights, I don't know if you've ever gone camping, and you have one of those Coleman lanterns. If you use candles in a power outage, you don't light candles, you don't turn on lanterns to cover them with things. That's that's self-evident. That's an axiom. That's obvious. So Jesus says that, and, and of course, then we've got to ask, okay, what is he talking about? What is this light Who's doing the covering? Commentators, Bible teachers have a lot of, a lot of opinions. I, I think it's easiest to understand this by working through this text and letting it explain itself. So what we're told is no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. So this light... You don't cover light, you put it on a stand, verse 17, and then when it's on the stand, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. When light is properly placed on a stand, it lights up the room. It in, brings to light the darkness even in the corners. Nor is anything secret will it not be known and come to light. So that's what light does. When light is properly put in its place, it lights everything up. Take care then how you hear. So i got to be careful how I hear, and you have to be careful how you hear, because you don't cover lights, you put them on stands. I think from that, the danger of covering is, is something we're in danger of doing. How we hear, right? You with me? How we hear, how you and I hear, has the possibility of covering the light or putting the light in its proper position. I, I think that's right. And if that's the case, then Jesus' teaching is the light. This word of God that we've heard already, the seed that the sower throws is the word of God. Deuteronomy 18, the prophet whom God raises up from among you, he will speak to them my words that I put in his mouth. Jesus' teaching, his message, the gospel of the kingdom, as it's spoken of in 8.1, is the light. And Jesus is speaking to those who've already been given some measure of spiritual understanding. They already have the advantage, the benefit of of getting this explanation. And we do too, because we have Luke's gospel. And he says to these people who've already been given some spiritual insight now, my teaching is light. Be careful how you hear. Be careful what you do with it. You don't want to cover it. You want to put it on a stand. Be careful how you hear. So even already sort of in and gained um, inside access, as it were, they're being warned on how they hear. Because as we saw in Deuteronomy 18, the one who will not listen to this prophet, and the words he speaks, God himself who required of him. Jesus teaching his light, listen to him. So you've been coming, you're sitting here, you're, you've got the insights into God's word, you've got some light shed upon your heart and your mind, what Jesus is saying then, point B, is do not cover Christ's light. Do not cover Christ's light, or the light of his teaching. Rather, let it expose your heart. Rather, let it expose your heart. Now, where did, where did the heart come from? Because this is an unbroken discourse or dialogue from Jesus coming on the heels of, and without any interruption, the parable of the sower, I think the parable of the sower itself can become helpful in interpretation. If you remember last week, when the seed was thrown upon the soil, we said, okay, what is the soil? The soil, we discovered, was the hearts of men. Look at verse 12. The one along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse fifteen. as for the soil that is sown in good soil, the seed as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. The soil is the hearts of men. the seed is the word of God here. Jesus using a different imagery. The, the Word of God is light. And this light, you've got a choice what you do. So you've got some understanding. You've seen something in God's Word. You're sitting here, and His Spirit is showing you something in His Word. You're, you're learning something about who He is, and you're faced with a choice. You can either cover that because you don't like it, you don't like what it implies in your life. It doesn't like how you, it makes you feel. You don't like how it indicts possible things you're doing, thinking, not doing. And so you, 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 you don't want that light. That light might make me feel a little guilty about some of the movies I watch. That, that light might make me feel bad about some of the choices I make. And, and the, the light gets covered. And the birds come and they take the seed away. That's one possibility. And that's really one fair way of describing why Jesus was rejected in John 3. You all know John 3.16. For God's love the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now listen to this. This is the judgment. This is the conclusion. This is the summary. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. What will make you want to cover the light? What will make you want to hide from the light? Because you love the darkness. And why would you love the darkness? Because your works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God's. So the choice then, whenever we come to God's word, the choice whenever we encounter the living Christ in his word, is will we let God's word expose and shine into us, despite the fact that we may not initially like what we see. We may not feel terribly comfortable with what we learn about ourselves. Will we do that? Or will we shy away from it? Will there be certain parts of the Bible we just we don't generally like to read there? Or will we just turn on the TV instead? Because make no mistake, there's an adversary and a devil out there who would love nothing more than to come and take the seed out of our hearts, who would love nothing more than distract us from being any use and bearing any fruit. And so Jesus tells him, take care how you hear. And he's telling us that we need to be careful how we hear. What do we do with the light that's been given to us? Let it expose your heart. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, you know this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, when you read this book, this book reads you. This book exposes you. And that can be comforting as we come because we know that God is not a respecter of persons and we can be like that adulteress or, or the prostitute who comes and weeps at Jesus' feet. We can have full, unfettered access, that close, that intimate. If we'll just come humbly, we'll just come in faith. God won't turn us away because of our sin, if we come in the right attitude, in faith. But he will expose it because he means to refine us and he means to change us and mold us and refashion us. If you're not interested in that, if you you just want to feel good about yourself, you will will stay away from here. We'll just read certain little happy sections of the Bible. Let it expose your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Let my teaching, let my word expose your heart. Last week, we saw the dangers that beset faith, right? And I made this point last week. I don't think I made it terribly well, but I said that the soils, the parable of the soils, is not fundamentally a parable about salvation and who's saved and not saved. Rather, it's about the dangers that faith and faithfulness face. I didn't say this then, but I want to say it now more clearly. I don't think it's as though a given person is a given soil. Rather, in my heart are hard patches. And in my heart are thorny patches. And in my heart are shallow patches. And what will stop God's Word from having fruitfulness in my own heart? It will be the parts of my heart that are hard. The shallowness in certain aspects. Now, make no mistake, I think if, if the whole garden, to use a metaphor, becomes shallow, or the whole garden becomes thorny, or the whole garden becomes hard, then, then yes, we're dealing with someone who doesn't know the Lord. But the point of this is He's warning us. These are the things that will eat up faith. These are the things that will distract and devour God's Word. These are the things that will make you and myself unfruitful. So when He warns us, be careful then how you hear, He's warning us, in essence, be careful of the hardness of heart. Be careful of the thorns in your heart. Be careful of the rocks and the shallowness in your heart. Be careful how you hear. Let it expose your heart. There's also another aspect to this. Let it shine before men. What Jesus is doing in training His disciples in chapter 8 is preparing for them to take on His ministry at the proclamation of the kingdom of God in chapter 9. In chapter 9, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So what was Jesus doing in chapter 8, verse 1? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. What's he doing in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2? He sends them out to do the same. You see, you, you, you give God's light, his word, its right place on the stand, you, you give it the center, it exposes you, and then you, as God's witness, you can shine that light as well to others. This is what we call evangelism. You can't skip that first step, not let it do its work on you and want to go to them. It's like the uh, person who's listening to a sermon week after week. Pastor, I'm really glad that they uh, they got to hear that. Well, one week, there's a snowstorm and only the, the guy who kept saying that showed up and the pastor thought, this time I finally got it. Yeah, I'm stealing your story, Dave. Sorry. So... The pastor thought, this time I finally got him. He's the only one here, and he preached his heart out. When he got done, the man who kept saying, I'm glad they got to hear that, came up to him and said, you know, it's a real shame that they weren't here to hear that. <laughs> we can't skip that step, but we let our light shine before men. Jesus is telling his disciples that if, if they will put His light of his word in its proper place in their heart, it will first expose them, and then through their actions and through their deeds and through their words, you'll be light. This is this is the imagery the apostle Paul uses in Philippians chapter two. You may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that it did not run or labor in vain. Don't cover Christ's light. Be careful how you hear. Don't cover it. Let it expose your heart. You may not like what you see. It's okay. God God accepts you anyway. God will change you. And then, and then don't cover that light as you interact with your neighbor and as you speak to your coworkers. Don't cover that light. Let it shine. Yeah, that takes wisdom. It takes discernment. That's what God's will, that we would not cover that light, but that it would shine and expose us, and that through us it could expose our neighbors as well. Then he gives the call and the warning, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. And then he gives us a danger or consequence. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You see, even though these disciples are all, already advanced, they already have access and insight that the crowds don't have. He said that in verse 10. To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And that you, to you it has been given, is the same you in verse 18. Take care then how you hear. He's talking to the same group. So even though they've, they've got this access, we've got this access, the warning still comes, and here's the reason for it. Whenever God shines the light of His Word into your heart and your life, one of two things will happen. You see, heat and light do one of two things. They either harden or they soften. Heat will melt wax and harden clay. If you don't cover that light, but you let it expose yourself, you'll get more. Isn't that the way the Christian life works? You read the Bible, God shows you something in His Word... It lights up your mind. Maybe it's some conviction of something you ought not to do. Maybe it's something that you need to believe and trust in. Maybe it's some good thing you are to do. And then you have a choice. You can either start putting that into practice and doing it, or in the case, maybe not doing it. Or you can just sort of forget about it. What happens is when you apply the truth God has revealed to you, what He do? He shows you more. You learn a new thing. He reveals more beauty, more wondrous things in His Word to you. And it keeps going on and on and on. To whom the one much is given, more will be given. Either you'll be given more or if you don't take care and if you presume, I'm all set. I'm part of the inner group to whom Jesus said, I've been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. I'm not like those people out in the crowd out there. He warns those same people to the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You might think you understand the Bible, you might think you understand things, but if you're not living them, if you're not practicing them, you deceive yourself, and the birds may well come and take it away. Either you will be given more, or you will be blinded. This gets back to Jesus' purpose and why he's doing this. His parables and his message is done to do the two effects the opening of eyes, the calling of the poor, the blinds, the oppressed, the prisoners, the captives, and to do a judicial and final hardening on those who have no interest in knowing God. So be careful how you hear. How you hear what you're doing right now, listening to God's Word, listening to me talk, is very, very important. How are you going to hear? Will you... Take care of the parable of the sower? Will you take care to give God's word its place in your heart? Or will you be careless? Jesus tells you great reward, and great ruin. Await how we respond to his word. To the one who has, you'll be given more. The one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. True disciples hear Christ's light. Then... And notice how this is still an uninterrupted text, because verse 19 starts with a then, the next thing that happened. Jesus is done talking, explaining the parables, but then something happened. It's as though as he finished speaking, something happened. Remember, he's got this subgroup. There's this crowd from towns and towns and towns and multitudes of people, and Jesus is having this little discussion with a subgroup of Disciples. And while that's happening, his mother, Mary, and his brothers came to him. Jesus had brothers and sisters, the Bible says. His mother and brothers came to him. They couldn't reach him. There was just too many people because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. This is remarkable what happens next. He answered them my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's it's remarkable. True disciples obey God's word. True disciples obey God's word. And I just want to look at three things here about this point, this this truth that we learn. What's, what's really been going on the whole time, be careful how you hear, be careful how you hear, be careful how you hear. Be careful of these dangers that will soak up and devour and crush and kill true hearing. Be careful that you don't cover the light. What's all that ultimately saying? True hearing presses on to Obedience. How important is that? How important is it that, we're, that our hearing presses on to obedience? I suggest it is of the utmost importance. Why? Point A, the priority. Ultimately, it is the proof of all true hearing. Ultimately, it is the proof of all true hearing. Let me read you another passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me? what is the place of my rest? In other words, ooh, you've got a nice big golden house. I made the heavens and the earth. Not terribly impressed. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. What does catch God's eye? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You want to get God's attention Have a humble and contrite spirit and tremble at his word. The proof of all true hearing is obedience. Listen to James chapter one, verse 22 to 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You get that, James says, if you hear the word and you don't do it, you've deceived yourself. There's a there's a self-deceit that comes from knowing things but not doing things. And we can think because we know things, or we, according to Jesus, think we know things, that somehow we're okay. Nope. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. he looks at himself, and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Birds come and grab the seed. The light gets covered. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. That's, That's the test. This is the proof, the priority. I want you to get this. Jesus' mother and brothers come. If, if, you have any, if you have any acquaintance with Roman Catholic theology, you know what a big deal they make of Mary. Regardless of that view, this is his mother. She raised him, she nursed him, she clothed him, she fed him. And she comes with his brothers. And we know from John 7 that at this point in Jesus' ministry, his brothers are not believers. You can go read that in John 7. Jesus' intent, talking to this inner group of disciples, is more aligned with them, has more affinity for them, identifies more with them than he does with his mother and his brothers. You get the priority of this? How important is it? Jesus would tell his mother and his brothers, wait, I'm not done yet got more things to say these are my true family these are my true tribe my my true people i mean it's it's absolutely remarkable the priority jesus ultimately identifies in a family and a familial sense not with his mother and his brothers but with those who hear the word of god and do it that's pretty important next i want to look at a source I don't want you to think here for a second, oh, okay, so if you do stuff, then God accepts you. Oh, if you do stuff, because that's key, and I'm saying it's key, and I do believe it's key, the doing of the Word is essential. But I don't want you to misunderstand. We are not accepted by God because we do stuff. The parable of the sower again gives us insight. What's the source of disobedience? Hearing with faith. Hearing with Faith again, it's right there in the parable of the sower. Why do the birds of the air come and snatch away the seed in verse 12? So that they may not believe and be saved. It's hearing with faith. And again, we've taught this repeatedly. We've seen it in the Gospel of Luke. We've seen it in the Sermon on the Plain. We've seen it in John the Baptist's ministry. The assumption is whatever it is you truly believe, whatever it is you truly hold on to by faith, that you will do. So how do you know if you've heard with faith? You know because you bear fruit. You know because you do. The doing doesn't get you right with God. Believing in the Word of Christ gets you justified. Listen, listen to Hebrews chapter two. Speaking of Israel, the good news came to them, to us, just as to them. This is Hebrews four two. Sorry, Hebrews four two. The good news came to us, just as to them. The message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's the message and faith. It's the word of God and faith. That's how the the seed takes root in our hearts. But when it does that, it bears much fruit. And the fruit is the obedience. I can't see even my own heart. Sometimes we can be so convinced we know our own hearts. Our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are deceptive. You ever wake up one morning feeling totally different than the way you went to bed at night wanting something? Our hearts are, are sometimes inscrutable. But our actions constantly reveal what's going on in our hearts. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm getting all sorts of things next up. So I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not saying go out and do stuff and then you're Jesus' family. Rather, that's why he keeps talking about hearing, hearing, hearing. How will you respond to what he is saying? How will you respond to the message of Christ? How will you respond to the gospel of Jesus? Will you hear it faithfully? Will you hear it truly with a good and right heart? If you do, it will take seed. It will bear much fruit. If you do, you will hear the word and do the word. That's the assumption. The message that Jesus came in the flesh, the Son of God, lived a sinless life, spoke God's Word to His people, ministered for three years to them, and then falsely accused, was nailed to a tree on which He bore our sins, the punishment of all of our sins. The reason why Jesus can, can be approached by a prostitute and not be made unclean is because He would bear her sins on the cross. Because those sins were atoned for. He admits, she who has many sins is forgiven. And that if we will turn in repentance and faith, if we will turn and trust Him, we too can be forgiven. That that message has has gone out. That seed has been scattered. How will we heed? How will we hear? What will our response be? But make no mistake, obedience is the proof of true hearing, but the source of true hearing is faith. It is faith. And finally, it's when we look at the reward. The reward. There is such great reward here. This may sound hard. I got to be focused. I got to think about stuff. I got to keep my mind on stuff. Maybe I got to get rid of some distractions. Maybe as the light exposes my heart, the things I got to change in my life. That doesn't sound easy. Why would I want to do that? Look at the reward. Those true disciples who hear Christ's light, those true disciples who obey God's word, they are adopted into God's family. Don't mistake this. His mother and his biological half-brothers are outside. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus might, given this context, be willing to refer to you as his mother, his brother, his sons, his family. is truly remarkable. And it's because we've been adopted. Turn turn to Romans 8. We're going to lastly look at a passage in Romans 8. I want to hold the gospel and the promise it offers up as high as I can. It is so worth hearing well, taking the time to hear well, guarding your hearts from the birds, rooting up the rocks, pulling the weeds and the thorns because of the reward that is promised. We get to be part of His family. He, he will own us as His family. And not just as the weird cousin that you know makes things awkward at barbecues. His mother, his brothers, his sisters. Paul speaks about this in Romans 8. Pick it up in verse 12. My brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Why is that? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And you remember, the people said to Moses, we are too terrified to approach God. You go talk to Him. You go deal with Him. And God has here given us a spirit whereby not only do we approach Him, we call out Daddy to Him. Tim Keller says this, only a child would dare to wake a king in the middle of the night to ask for a glass of water. We have that type of access as His Son's. We have the same access of the prostitute or the adulterous woman who who kneels and, and clings to his feet and kisses them and, and washes them with her tears and wipes them with her hair. We have that type of access because we are brought into his family by faith. That, that is what is put on the table. That's the offer on the table. Jesus could sooner identify with you than with Mary and his brothers if you will but hear God's word with faith and it bear fruit in your life. What a wonderful... Wonderful reward that is. And so let us hear and heed his warning. Let us be careful how we hear. For God has raised up a prophet like Moses, and it is to him that we must listen. And God has put his words in his mouth, and he did speak all that God commanded him. And whoever will not listen to his words that he shall speak in God's name. The Lord God himself will require it of us. Let us be careful how we hear. There is such reward, such blessing, such joy, if we'll hear with faith. And such blindness and loss, if we will not. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the insights that you've given us. We thank you that through your word, we too can have access and see the secrets of the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord God, let us heed that warning. Let us be careful how we hear. Let us not cover the light of your word quickly. Let it do its work in our hearts. Let it inform the words of our mouth as we speak to our neighbors. Lord, let it bear much fruit. We want to be, we want so much for you to own us as your sons and daughters, for you to recognize us as your children, And you've given us that tremendous privilege and access. Oh, Lord God, let us not treat this lightly. Lest we neglect so great a salvation. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed. We'll meet for our quarterly meeting here at Half Past.